remain standing for the reading of God's Word this morning. We will continue with our reading in 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 8, reading through verse 15. Starting in verse 8, this is the Word of the Lord to us. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is God's Word. Pastor Dave, please come and teach us through this passage. All right, let's be honest. If you've been with us the last few weeks, this is the message you've been wanting to hear. You've been wanting to know, how am I going to handle these passages? Yeah. I think you're all going to be surprised, and then you're going to be like, oh, I could have figured that out on my own. So that's my aim. That's my hope this morning. So are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? All right, well, let's, let's go. We've been looking at this passage in 1 Timothy. We've been looking through the entire book of uh, 1 Timothy. And when you come to 1 Timothy chapter 2, you see Paul giving some very broad instructions to the church as a whole. And then when you come to verses 8 through 15, he narrows his focus to men and to women. And we've talked about the fact that when you look at the entirety of God's word, God made humanity in his image. Both men and women made equally in the image of God. And yet, he made them Male and female. Very clearly, God's word says there is a distinction between the sexes, between the genders. Men and women are not interchangeable categories of humanity. God has made them distinct. And just when you look at our, scientifically the way that God has made men and women, there are just obviously physical traits that make men different from Women. One of the things I was looking at again was just the fact that men's, this is funny, uh, men have thicker skin than women. Uh, not figuratively, but, but literally. Um, when you look at the makeup of a man, 25% men's skin tends to be thicker than, than women. When you talk about our brains and the makeup, the, the composition of our brains, the ladies are like, yeah, we know you're different. But no, there's a, there's a difference in the very makeup of our gray matter and white matter that we, that we have. Men have more um, information containing gray matter. Women have more white matter, which connects the different parts of the brain. So you see, why well, more for women, things are connected. They also have, no shock here, bigger memory centers than, than, men, than men do. Look, we're, we're, we're different. God made us different. You know, despite what the culture tries to say, science backs up the difference between the sexes, and God's word comes and says, listen, each is equally made in my image, of equal worth and of equal value, but they are different. So it makes a bunch of sense that when you come to 1 Timothy chapter 2, when God is wanting to give instructions to those who make up his church, 
he has different instructions at, at certain points for men and for women. And so what we saw in verse 8 was when he was speaking to men, he encouraged men to pursue prayer, which was to show our dependence upon him. He encouraged men to pursue holiness and purity. Tell me that's not something that is important for men and something that men struggle with. And he encouraged men to pursue peace, to not be contentious with others. And then when he came to verses 9 and following, we looked last week how some of his instructions to women were to exalt Christ and not your external beauty or not your wealth or status. Because in the culture of that day, and I think even today, it's a woman's beauty that gives her worth, that gives her value, that gives her influence. And God says, that's not supposed to be the case for, for women. Don't focus on your external beauty. Don't focus on displaying your wealth or your status. Instead, pursue good works. That's ultimately what the woman of God should be pursuing, just as the man of God should pursue prayer and holiness and peace. Well, we stopped last week at the end of verse 10 because in the beginning of verse 11, Paul comes and he gives his final instruction to women. And what happens in this text, as you see, is verse 11 is his kind of final specific instruction to women. And then verses 12 through 15, I'm going to show you, are actually clarifying instructions that he gives. Basically saying, as I give these instructions about women and to women, I need to now give clarifying instructions because ultimately you can misunderstand what I am saying or why I have given these instructions. So, look with me again at verse 11. What's the last instruction in this text that he gives to women. It's verse 11, and he says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, depending upon where your eyes go as you read that text, you might look at that text, and you might be taken a little bit aback by it. And that, and that, that wouldn't surprise me. You know, that verse was actually a very shocking verse to the people in Paul's day. In fact, the people in Paul's day, whether they were Romans or Jews, would have actually struggled with this instruction being given to women, but not for the reasons that it strikes us today. You see, the context in which Paul gives this instruction is so very important. Because the culture and the context of Paul's day was radically different than ours today. But here's what we know to be true. In the Roman world at that time, let me put this as delicately as I can. These are not my words, okay? What I'm about to tell you. Not my opinion, not the opinion of Valley Center Community Church. But the opinion of those in that day was that women were second-class citizens academically. Romans believed that women were inferior intellectually to men. Their words, not mine. Remember this, okay? And because of that, the educational system of that day was focused predominantly on men. The Romans did not believe that women needed to be educated, that was the culture of the Romans. It's not to say that a woman wouldn't receive an education. Only those in the highest classes would most likely be tutored in, in ways of being able to, to learn and to read. And so the focus of that day was on the men. Women didn't need to learn. Now, 
lest you think that was just a Roman idea, the Jews held to a very similar thing. The Jews, once again, did not see the role of women in learning as being important. Let me read to you from the Jewish Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud in particular. It said this, It would be better for the words of the Torah to be burned than that they should be entrusted to a woman. Not my words, their words. So the Jewish rabbis of this day, they taught, they believed that it was unimportant for a woman to be instructed in the word because they're not going to teach the word. And so, look it, women were not encouraged in the ancient world to learn. It was something that was shunned, something that was put away from them. They didn't have access to it. In fact, the Babylonian Talmud, another rabbinic tradition, it actually put it this way. It said, the men, when talking about coming to the synagogues, <laughs> the men came to learn, the, woman, the women came to hear. All right? So men, when they came to the synagogues, they could actually learn. Basically, women just came there, and they sat, and they were just able to hear. Are you tracking with me? Okay? So... This was the context of that day. And for us, when we read this today, we come to this verse and we come to the text and we think this is a text about limiting women, telling women to sit there and be quiet. Because we're focusing on the last part of the verse. In reality, the instruction that is being given here to women is this. Pursue growing in your knowledge of God. That's actually the command. That's actually the imperative. It's given in the third person masculine imperative. So it's actually a command being given to the, the hearer, the receiver of this letter, Timothy, saying, Timothy, I want women to learn. I don't want you to follow the cultural context of that day that precludes a woman from learning. I want you to elevate women, and I want them to be a part of the teaching and the learning that's happening inside of the church. And this makes tons of sense when you consider that one of the reasons Paul is writing Timothy, as we saw earlier in chapters 1 and 2, was because there were these false teachers that were coming into the church. And so how can a woman be prepared to combat, as a follower of Jesus Christ's false teaching, if she herself is being kept from learning? Are you following me? And so Paul says, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle, and that culture says women shouldn't learn. I'm telling you, God has always valued women, and, and what it's coming in this text and saying is that there should be equality in learning. When men and women come together, they should equally come to learn from the word of God. Pursue growing in your knowledge of God. Here, church, is where we see the Bible some 2,000 years ago not being afraid to confront culture. You see, today, the idea of not wanting to see a woman grow in education and grow in learning is just a completely foreign concept, and it's considered backwards. Well, long before our culture kind of figured that out, the Bible was already saying that women should be individuals who learn the world back then was saying that a woman, it wasn't worth 
it for her to learn. But God says, I want you to learn and I want you to grow specifically in your knowledge of me. Women are to be students of biblical doctrine. And when you understand this, and God's call upon women to pursue growing in their knowledge, you'll understand the last part of the verse. See, the last part of the verse says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. This further instruction to learn quietly with all submissiveness is not Paul being socially regressive. It's not Paul telling women that they just have to sit there and be wallflowers. No, instead he is giving some very common sense, practical instructions for how women are to learn. Because let me ask you a very basic question. Are you able to learn if you go into a setting believing that you already know all the answers? Are you able to learn if you go into a setting with a rebellious or contentious heart? Have you ever tried to instruct a child in an activity and they say, no, 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 I what? I know, I know. No, no, would you just sit and listen? I have something that, when you see it in a child, what Paul is coming here when he's giving the instruction for a woman to learn quietly with all submissiveness, all he's doing is he's saying the most effective way for any woman to learn, let alone any person, is to learn with the spirit of humility as you come and to quietly receive the instruction you are getting. This serves in contrast, again, to the false teachers who Paul's already pointed out in chapter 1 are contentious and who try to create divisions. He is saying to women, don't follow the pattern of these contentious men who are false teachers. Instead, demonstrate your desire to learn by coming quietly with all submissiveness. It's a really powerful Countercultural instruction that Paul is giving. One that is absolutely glorious when you consider it in its context in that day and even today. What should be our takeaway from this instruction? <clears throat> our takeaway should be that God wants women to learn and grow in Him. And you can't learn if you're not willing to submit yourself to the instructor. If you come in believing you know it all. Even in Paul's day, there was that new Roman woman who was trying to assert dominance and to do it through her beauty and through her wealth and her status. And Paul says, don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna fulfill who God has made you to be, to grow as a disciple, then you need to. Come with the Spirit, willing to learn. You know, as I look at this, I think to myself, I get it why Paul was giving this instruction in that day and age. And I get it why he was, he was giving it to women. But I also have to take away from that and say, this is an instruction for all of us, isn't it? This is something that all of us should consider. Am I learning as a believer in Jesus Christ you know, our mission as a church, for those of us who understand that we have been redeemed and set free, forgiven and made new in Jesus Christ, that to be followers of him, we must be and make disciples of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus, we say, entails three or four things as a church. 
We gather for worship. But the second thing that we say is that we grow, that all disciples are to be those focused on growing in their knowledge and application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it makes sense that Paul would want women to know that they are included on that when they're in a culture that says you should be excluded from growing in your knowledge. No, we as a church believe that to be a follower of Jesus is to grow in our knowledge and to grow in our understanding of him. And this isn't just something for women today, but it's for all of us. But we must ask ourselves the question, am I seeking to learn? Am I seeking to grow? Or am I contented to stay where I am? Second Peter, Peter would write to the church, this is for everybody, Peter says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're a disciple of Jesus, doesn't matter if you're a man or if you're a woman, we are to be a people who take our spiritual growth, that is our growing in our knowledge of him, seriously. The Bible is this countercultural book that comes time and times again and turns culture on its head, and it says, listen, growing and learning, it's available to both the sexes because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So are you learning? Are you growing in your knowledge of him? Do you see how God makes it available to all of us? He doesn't keep himself hidden. He's given us literally this book. He says, all that you need to know about me, all you need to know about life, and the way of considering the things that you have to deal with, it's found here in this book. It's my revelation to you. Take it, use it, don't put it to the side, and don't make your gender an excuse for doing so. Now, when you understand that that is actually what verse 11 is talking about, and that's actually the instruction for women to pursue growing in their knowledge of God, you begin to then understand why he says what he says in the next verses and why I call these next set of verses Paul's clarifying instructions. So what are, what are Paul's clarifying instructions? He's just spoken to men. He's just spoken to women. And now he's got some clarifying instructions. Now, now, to get this, again, let's talk about the context. Paul has just put forth the countercultural instruction that women should learn just like men. They should be considered equal in being able to learn. Now, think about this. As women in the church would embrace this countercultural idea of learning and being equipped in the Word of God, it could lead one to think that equality in education between the sexes means that men and women can occupy then the same roles within the church. One could say, wait a second, if men and women are equal in their learning, and Galatians 3 tells us that, that men, and e men and women, there's no distinction spiritually in their relationship with Jesus, then that means that everything that, that God would want a man to do in the church, he would want a woman to do in the church. Equality in education means interchangeable roles, Right? See, when you, when you get that that's where that could lead, you get then why Paul comes and says this. Verse 12, well, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Look, we've already laid the foundation for this. 
men and women of equal worth and value in the eyes of God. Men and women should both be educated in the Lord. But Paul in verse 12 is now clarifying. He's making clear that there are certain roles in the church that only men are called to inhabit. When he says that a woman should not teach or exercise authority over a man, he's referencing the two most significant aspects of the role of elder in the church. And we're going to get into this next week in 1 Timothy chapter 3. God talks about how there is a leadership structure within the life of the church. There are those called within the church to shepherd and to preach the word of God to the congregation. Qualified individuals are supposed to do that. That is the role of elder. And so what Paul is coming here and doing, here's his first clarifying instruction. Equality in education does not mean a woman should be an elder in the church. That's his first clarifying instruction. Yes, of equal worth and value in the eyes of God. Yes, each one should equally pursue learning and education in the word of God. But that does not mean that the roles are interchangeable. God has set aside that the leadership in the church ultimately falls to the responsibility of qualified men. And that's why he says, I want to be clear, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over men. Just because of this, it doesn't mean this. Now, it's almost like God knows us, because he does. He anticipates that our next question is going to be what? Why? Why can't a woman fulfill that role? Verse 13 comes and answers the question. He lays out the why. It begins with this. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. God is laying out that the roles designated to men and women in the church go all the way back to the created order, to the very beginning of how God designed things. He says that Adam was formed first. We know this from Genesis. God created Adam, male, and then he created Eve, female. In fact, Eve came from Adam. And we know that throughout the scriptures, God, in his design and in his wisdom, has assigned that the first... And, and the firstborn designates leadership. It designates headship. It designates authority. When a family has a firstborn male, God says that that one inherits the wealth of the family. It's called to lead the next generation. It doesn't matter if, if that one who's born first is, is smarter or more gifted or more talented. God has structured these things in this way, this idea of firstborn, this idea of first. It connotates authority. It connotates a headship. And so Paul says, why? Why shouldn't a woman fulfill that role? Paul's simple answer is it's because God has designed for men to function in this way, both in the home and then in the church. It's how this leadership is ultimately to unfold. Now, there's some that come and they argue and they say, well, this actually doesn't apply to us today. That a woman can serve as an elder, can serve as a pastor, that that whole headship thing, and like that's of a bygone era. 
And they will point to, they say, well, even in that day, the false teachers that Paul was talking about were, were, were women. And, and so this was a cultural thing. This, this isn't a transcendent thing. To which I say, that's not the case. Number one, there's no evidence that the false teachers were women. And secondarily, Paul doesn't ground his reasoning for why men are to fulfill the role of elder in the church based upon a cultural thing that's happening. He grounds it in the created order. He says, this is ultimately God's design for how the family functions and for how the church is to function. There's this one pastor, John Stott, and he wrote this. He said, all attempts to get rid of Paul's teaching on headship on grounds that it is mistaken, confusing, cultural bound, or cultural specific must be pronounced unsuccessful. It remains stubbornly there. It is rooted in a divine revelation, not human opinion, and in divine creation, not human culture. In essence, therefore, it must be preserved as having permanent and universal authority. God has designed this structure. It's part of his wisdom. Now, what Paul does next in verse 14 is he gives an illustration of why this design must be followed. And why it is so important that the church and, the, and even then the family doesn't deviate from this. He gives an example, again, from Genesis to show how when you say, you know what, that's, that's really not that important. Women can fulfill whatever role that men can fulfill and vice versa. It doesn't really matter. Paul says, oh yeah? Well, consider this. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, what on earth is he talking about here? Well, let me be very clear, because this really ticks me off. This verse is not trying to say that the reason that women cannot serve as elders or pastors is because they're more easily deceived than men. The passage is not saying that. Can I get an amen? All right, because if you go around saying, it's like, well, women shouldn't be in roles of leadership because 1 Timothy 14, 2.14 says they're more easily deceived than men. I will slap you. I know it's not biblical, but I will do it and I'll repent. No, I'm kidding, All right? Because, like, that's how you mis misuse that. And some people go to, like, 1 Peter chapter 3 when it's talking about husbands and wives and talks about, well, wives are the weaker vessels, and, and they're like, well, see, there you go. Women are more easily deceived, and they're of a more delicate nature than, than men. And that's not what that's saying either. It's not that women are, are weaker in their disposition or in their wisdom or in their discernment than men. The Bible does not say that. And I'm being passionate about that because I've seen that abused. What Paul is saying here and what Peter is saying in his context has to do with the roles assigned to women. And when he says that the woman was deceived first, what Paul is going back to in the story of creation and the fall of humanity is he's coming and he's talking to us and he's saying, do you remember the story? Who was it that Satan went to first in the garden? It says he went to Eve, but make no mistake, the text is clear. Adam and Eve were together when the serpent came to her. And so who did the serpent go to first? He went to the woman. The serpent, Satan, he deviated from God's design. 
he went to the woman and he was the first one to pervert the order. Rather than going to the man, he knew that I'm going to go to the woman. I'm going to pervert the design of God and I'm going to confront the woman on this. And Adam, what did he fail to do? He failed to take the headship in that situation. He failed to fulfill his role. And so the woman was deceived first because the man failed to lead and the headship and the design of God was distorted and because that was distorted, sin entered the world and we all get to experience the joys of that. You want to know how important it is to not mess with the design of God? Go back to the garden. And he says, church, if you think that you can pervert and you can choose to not follow my instructions here, I'm giving you a warning. Look at how things turned out when Adam and Eve messed with the roles. Look at how Satan knew that to ultimately mess with the design of God, he went to the woman first. Why has God said that a woman isn't to teach or to have authority over a man, specifically to function in the role of a pastor or an elder? It's because God designed the role of elder to be fulfilled by men. He ties it back to his created order. That's his clarifying instruction. Now, when I read this, I begin to realize something oh, there's been a slight shift here. See, I think originally that this is all about instructions to women, and women need to understand their place and things like that. But do you not begin to connect the dots when you understand the text in its context that right now, right here, Paul is kind of no longer speaking to women. Who's he actually speaking to? Men. And he's saying, I have not called women to fulfill this role. And by not calling women to fulfill this role, who is he calling to fulfill that role? Who's he calling? Men. And so the call here is for men to step up. It's a calling to men, to, to us to see, not just in the context of the church, but in the home, men, we have a role. We have a role in the importance of instruction and in, in exercising authority and protection and headship. Like men, we have to take that seriously. Like literally the very next section of verses, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, says this. Listen to this. Men, listen to this. This is so important. Paul says, verse 1, chapter 3, the saying is trustworthy is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Men of Valley Center Community Church, you should desire to be leaders in the eyes of God, in your home and in the church. Every member man of Valley Center Community Church should look at the call to be an elder and say, that is a God-honoring, noble task, and I should aspire to that. 
I should never be contented in just the status quo of my life as a man within the church and within my home. I should be a man who desires to grow and to take seriously that God has given this role to me and God has given the role of leadership in the church to be fulfilled by men. And if the men of God don't stand up and take seriously this calling, then it won't be fulfilled according to God's design. And this right here, man, is actually a challenge to us. Do I desire to have the character of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on display in my life? Do I desire the noble task of shepherding? You see, I think back to World War II. I think back to that time in our history and the stories that are told both on our continent and I think of the stories in Great Britain, how war is a hard thing. It's a difficult thing. It's a scary thing. And I think about the men at that time and place. I think about the men who weren't able to go to war because of injuries or infirmities that they had. And how so many of them, they they knew what could happen if they went overseas, but how just across the board, men knew that the defense of our country and the defense of its citizens was a noble thing. And so they were willing to risk their lives and make the ultimate sacrifice. And those who weren't able to do so, they, they felt... At times, embarrassed, they felt like they were cowards because they weren't able to go because to go was a noble task. And the same thing is true for us. Do we aspire as men to pursue Christ and to allow his light to shine through us and to serve our families and to serve our church? Will we take up this noble task? Now, because women are not called to be shepherds of the church, does that mean that they do not play an important role in the life of the church? I mean, just kind of think about this. Paul has just gone out of his way to say, listen, women are to learn, they're to experience learning equally alongside of men. So does that mean that a a woman doesn't have an important role in the life of the church? I don't have time to get into it today. Just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at Romans chapter 12. Two other places where Paul writes to two different churches, the one in Corinth and the one in Rome, and he talks about how the body of Christ can only function as each person embraces the gifts God has given them and serves within the body of Christ. And in those passages, Paul doesn't make the distinction between men and women. He's just talking about the body of Christ, how each and every part of the body of Christ has a role and a function, and how we must embrace those gifts that God has given to us. Men and women coming alongside, serving one another. Men and women coming alongside and instructing one another. You see, when you read the rest of the scriptures, what you quickly see is that all roles in the church are important. Can I get an amen to that? And whatever role you're fulfilling with inside of the church, just because elder, pastor is set aside for those who are only qualified men, it doesn't mean that the other roles within the church, 
even the role of deacon with inside of the church is unimportant. You need all of it to function appropriately. You need all of them in order to bring God the glory. Now, as I say that, I wanted, though, really quickly offer some clarification because immediately some questions are going to jump up into your brains if they haven't already. As we say all of this, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, so what does that mean for the role of a woman in the church? Can women speak in the church? Because he says more than once, she must be quiet and, and submissive. She must to remain quiet. Can a woman speak in the church? Again, when Paul says that a woman is supposed to be quiet, he's talking about exercising authoritative preaching in the life of the church. And did you know that just as women aren't to serve in the role of preaching and teaching in, in the church, according to what Paul says here, so too, just because you're a man doesn't mean that you can preach. Did you know that? In fact, the majority of men are disqualified from ever preaching in the church because in chapter 3, he lays out the qualification for the men who are able to preach. So even for men, there is a limit to what they can do. But let me be very clear. Women can speak in the church. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you see that even in the context of corporate worship, women are praying Women are prophesying in public worship. They're supposed to do it with proper humility and submission, just as men are to do. But women can speak. Even here at Valley Center Community Church, we have women who come, and they will read the passage of Scripture, who will pray, and who sing songs. Like, public engagement, women speaking in public worship, it's not something that this text is saying wholesale a woman cannot do. As well, this text is not saying that a woman cannot teach. Women can teach. There are all these passages where women are encouraged to teach other women or children. We see this in Titus 2, chapter 4. We see it in 2 Timothy 1, 5. Timothy himself says, or Paul says of Timothy, that he learned and he grew in the Scriptures because he was taught by his mother and his grandmother. So women must exercise the gift of teaching and by the way, men and women, men and women are called to make disciples. And if you remember, when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You know that passage, right? So he's speaking to all believers. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Do you know what the very next thing he says? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Think about this, church. That instruction is given to both men and women. So both men and women serve a role in teaching and instructing in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that men and women can be saved. And then Colossians 3.16 says that we are to teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melodies in our hearts to God. So there is a role for women and by the way, this also means that men can learn from women. Men can learn from women. Timothy learns from his mother and his grandmother. Priscilla and her husband Aquila took Apollos, a man who was preaching and teaching in Corinth, and they explained to him more accurately the way of God, Acts 18.26. That's an example of a woman coming alongside and instructing a man. 
We see Paul talking about women in his letters as being co-laborers with Paul. Are, are you tracking with me? Women have a role within the life of the church. Time doesn't permit me to answer all the questions about the natural settings of when and where certain things might be appropriate or inappropriate, but I want to point you guys to something. Because I was preaching through 1 Corinthians a number of years ago, and we were talking about the role of men and women in the church. Listen, if you want to know more on what we believe at Valley Center Community Church, what this looks like, at the very back of the information table right there, there's this little printout. It's also online. And it talks about the role of men and women at Valley Center Community Church, how we see ourselves trying to be obedient to what God says here. But we see the value and we see the worth in women. We see the importance of their role within the life of the church. We don't want to push them off to the corner and say you're just a bunch of wallflowers. We believe that women have an important role. And lest we think that just because men fulfill one role and women don't fulfill that role, like that's some kind of a thing that is subjugating women in their worth and value. I want you to think about this. We have an example in the scriptures of how different people fulfill different roles, and yet each is worth equal value, worth, and praise. Because last time I read the Bible, which was this morning, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the what? Holy Spirit. The Father fulfills the role of the Father, the Son fulfills the role of the Son, and the Spirit fulfills the role of the Spirit. Is any one of them less worthy of praise and glory than the other? Am I going to say because the Son is not the Father, well, he's not as worthy as much praise? Am I going to say that the Spirit isn't worthy of much praise because he's not fulfilling the role of the Son? No, each one is essential to your salvation and your eternal life. And all receive the praise and the glory because that's God's design. And the Son willingly submits to the Father, and the Spirit willingly submits to the Son, all for the good of God's plan and God's design. Isn't that marvelous? God knows what he's doing in his roles and his design. But there's one final clarifying instruction. Lest we think in any way that this passage belittles women, I want to close by looking at verse 15, where Paul gives this final clarifying instruction. And you know what his final clarifying instruction is? It's very simply this. Remember the significance of women in God's salvation plan. Verse 15 is one of these crazy verses, and most people are like, what are you doing with this verse? Here's what you do with this verse. This verse is telling us, church, remember the significance of women in God's salvation plan. Look at verse 15 with me. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, people look at that, and they're like, what on earth? What is he talking about? Well, remember, he's been going through the creation account in the verses right before it. And we know what he's not saying. Paul can't be saying here that a woman's justification is tied to her ability to bear children. Your salvation as a woman is not tied to the fact that you've given birth to a child or not. He can't be saying that. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. So he's not talking about that. What is he talking about? Well, I believe that the she in this passage is referring back to Eve. And the point that Paul is making is that even though Eve disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the tree, she was given a promise, wasn't she, church? The promise was that through her seed, through the birth of a child, Eve's line would one day 
crushed the head of the serpent who deceived them. And that, church, is exactly what happened. This passage is calling us to remember what we owe to a woman. Because it was through the woman that God would bring about the Redeemer, whose name is Jesus Christ. And that salvation is available to all people because through the birth of a child... At the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, that we might be redeemed. And so lest we fall in and think, what role does a woman have? Paul comes and says, never forget the fact that it was through a woman that salvation entered in. She shall have a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. How powerful is that? I do have a question in light of everything that I've said this morning. You know, we've, we've been talking about the function and role in the church, but, but this last verse, it asks a question to everybody that's here, and that is, where does your salvation rest? Like you've been born, and you're here on this earth, but you were born a sinner in need of salvation. This passage is pointing us back to that salvation can only come through Jesus Christ. And you know that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because it will bear the fruit of love and holiness and self-control. And so this passage is also encouraging us, if you've not yet trusted in a Savior, and that Savior, Jesus Christ, today should be a day that you should consider that. Because that too is part of God's plan. So Valley Center Community Church, we are people who have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed and made new. Being redeemed and made new, he has instructions for men and for women. He wants us to pursue those things that are, at times, temptations for us and our genders and our sexes not to pursue. And if I could close with this, I would say, I pray that Valley Center Community Church would be a church that understanding the roles of men and women, understanding what God has called us to pursue individually and collectively, oh, that we would be a church that builds one another up, that comes alongside and encourages one another and celebrates when we see men walking in holiness and purity and prayer, that we celebrate when we see women pursuing, learning and growing in the knowledge of God and exalting God through their good works. What a, what a, what a beautiful picture of who we're to be as the people of God as we live in the roles that God has assigned to us and as we encourage one another and celebrate that work of God in each other's life. May the Lord help us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the good God who has given us blessing beyond blessing, mercy beyond mercy, grace beyond grace. You've called us to be your own. You've made us new. Lord, you've shown us how we can grow in you and those things that you want us as men and women to pursue in our lives. Lord, help us to walk in these things. Help us to pursue these things for the praise and glory of your name. Help us as men to fulfill our roles that you call us to in the church and in the home. Help us as the women in the church to pursue their roles within the church and with the home that all this would be done to your praise, all this would be done to your, your glory and that we would continually see that you are a God who turns culture on its head and elevates, Lord, what you have created to the praise and glory of your name. We ask this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.